Welcome to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries, a Christ-centered conversation that will encourage and inspire you to live a better life. Now let's join Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. Welcome to Hacks for Life. I'm Galen Jones, your host, and I'm having a conversation uh, with my good friend Scott Rahi, and we are discussing the idea of how evil points us to God. Right. Take it away. We're going to talk about this moral and the emotional uh Piece is kind of where we left off. The emotional uh, problem of evil, and just to just to remind, sort of at the outset, I I think it's pretty well agreed that the strongest argument that atheists have against the existence of God is this problem of evil. Look at the evil in the world. How could a good God exist? You hear it all the time. Yeah. And there are people that have lost their faith over. It. You know, people. I, I lost my child to cancer. I can't believe in God anymore. And I'm not. You know, and. You know, I also don't want somebody to hear this and go, God can exist. Here's the logical reasons, because that's not going to meet any of these people where they are. They're feeling um, crushed. You know, they're feeling their souls have been destroyed. And for me to sit down and go, let me map it out, map out for you how God can logically exist. And that doesn't mean anything to these people. You know, that's why I think we just in those moments you hold on to them and you you maintain relationship with them and you be prepared to inject questions and 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 love them through it and these moments sometimes these kinds of things are helpful to you who are caretaking those people so you don't lose your own faith in the midst of that yeah does that make sense oh yeah I, one of the things that's uh, a common uh, in trying to encourage people that have, you know, lost a child or lost a, a, a spouse, um, you know, the comments, well, God must have needed them in heaven. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody that's ever lost a child would love that answer. Yeah, that's um, uh, because I do think they're struggling yeah. at, at different levels with how could a God a loving God? They may not say it this way, but how could a loving God allow this to happen? And that's. They're in the thick of it emotionally, and yeah. I really appreciate what you said there. That we, if this is a time when, if we find ourselves, uh, if God places us in the lives of uh, an individual or the life of an individual where some tragedy has happened, that we can love them through that and yeah. not just throw some uh, a God. Uh, response like, well, you know, God needed them, and yeah. or or whatever that they just kind of go, oh yeah, really, and I didn't, you know, it, right. Um, Sometimes I mean, those things are, are intended to make us feel better. Like we say that, well, we've said something, we've tried to help, and really we didn't do anything. Yeah, we didn't do yeah, any good at yeah. all. So just to sort of restate what we're talking about here, we're we're spending time. We talked a little bit about the logical problem of evil, and I think. Pretty much most, even most skeptics, I think, if if they look into the matter, they'll say, okay, fine, it's possible that God could coexist with evil. But then they'll say, but it's really unlikely, given the amount of evil in the world. And so, you know, that's how they'll that's how they'll spend their time. And as Christians, we spend our time there too. We really struggle with this idea. I think everybody struggles with this idea that 
look at all this evil in the world. Where is God? Mm-hmm. Where is God in 9-11? Where is God in the tsunami? You know, and I saw... Where's like, God in COVID? Where's God in COVID? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's it, it, right. a lot of churches have struggled with this because church attendance is way, way down. down. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And I think um, I saw at it was in relation to the 9-11, there was, after the buildings collapsed, there was apparently two girders that formed a cross. And like, oh, there's God in the midst of that. And I'm, and I'm thinking, if I was a skeptic and I saw that, I'd say, no, no, no. If God was real, he's going to be up there before that plane hits, and he's going to keep that plane from crashing into the building where the man's on the phone with his wife saying, honey, I'm never coming home again because the floors beneath me are burning, and I don't think I'm going to make it. Yeah. He's not going to – putting a cross up there afterwards doesn't do anything. Yeah. So these are real moments these are real powerful moments and most skeptics are going to raise that and say you know they're typically not going to say yeah i don't believe that god created the universe you you you'll have those conversations but they're not the primary place that you're going to spend your time yep so if there is so much evil in the world it's unlikely that god exists that's what they say how do we respond to that and i think the first way that we respond to it and again we have to do this very with very with a great deal of sensitivity so we don't just, you know, don't read these lines and go, hey, I'll just say this and, you know, everybody, it, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. It's, you know, you're not just here, oh, my goodness, a light switch goes off and I'm fine again. That's not how this works. Yeah. So what I hear you saying, it just so that our our listeners can kind of have a, a pathway, um, is that I always start these conversations with a, a whole lot of empathy. Oh, my goodness, yes. yeah. I mean, that's where it starts. How did Jesus start when Lazarus died? He knew he was going to raise him, but he started by crying. Yeah, yeah. getting connected. Yeah. yeah. So the first thing I would, I would say, the first way that we can begin to think of a response is, and we've already talked about this a little bit before, you've mentioned it, um, I don't think we're in a position to know everything that God knows. We don't know what God's reason for allowing something actually is. Um, I, it's hard to say that because you say, oh, really? God had an actual reason to allow my child to die. And, you know, and I don't know how to, you know, I've heard people answer this. You know, you know I, everybody knows that I listen to William Lane Craig a lot. And he's got an answer that, candidly, I don't think it's very sensitive He'll say, well, you know, those kids that die, they're going to heaven, so it's not really that big a deal for them to die. (laughs) I'm like, that is not an answer I can – it's really hard for me to hear that. And I've heard skeptics turn on him and say, look, that's very insensitive. He doesn't say it quite like I said. Yeah, yeah. But But I've I've heard that, you know, and and I even – when something has happened in in our family's life, um, I will often tell myself – that yeah that it's it's okay because god does exist that's right and it will be better yep um but to tell somebody you know that that's why you can't just come out and say this stuff yeah you it that's that could be five or six conversations down the road down the road if if that and i think with the way i have to start if i because i think about how i deal with hard things because i've dealt with hard things in my life too I have to start with a realization that I said at the very outset of this. The purpose of life is not to be happy in this life. The purpose of life is to know God. Whatever happens in this life that leads to me knowing God or leads to others knowing God, ultimately, I think 
we have to as Christians accept, no matter how it feels emotionally, we have to accept that it's a good thing because it serves God's purposes and we're servants of God. We don't get to walk, you know, we can, and a lot of people will leave their faith and say, I don't like this idea that evil things serve God's purpose, but if I'm going to be a faithful Christian, I have to recognize that God will do things in life for the ultimate glory of his kingdom, and he'll bring his kingdom to him, and he'll, you know, through things that are evil. I was working for a company um, probably close to 20 years ago, and there was a huge tsunami that occurred in Asia somewhere, and I can't remember where it was. But the gentleman that I worked for was a Christian. I'm sure he still is. Um, and we were talking about it, and he and he said, you know, that may be, this is probably the first time I ever heard anybody say this, he goes, that may be a good thing that this happened. And I'm like, you know, Terry, how can you say that? Imagine how many missionaries are going to show up in that country and how that country, because it was a very locked down country that was very opposed to Christianity, they wouldn't let missionaries in. Suddenly the doors are wide open and people get to come in there and people get to hear the gospel and people get to come to, to faith. Um, and this horrible thing has to happen for that to occur. And of course, skeptics will sometimes say, well, couldn't God find a way to do that without causing so much death? Well, again, I can't see everything that God can see. I can't see over the hill. And I think we're very presumptuous whenever we decide for ourselves that we can't see any ultimate good out of something. Therefore, there isn't any ultimate good. Mm -hmm. God can know more. He does know more than I do. He sees over that hill that I can't see over. So I think that's the first the first thing we have to realize, we're finite and he's not. Um, and I think I want to quote uh, Job 38 on this. The story of Job is a very relevant story here. You know, he loses his families. He loses his wealth. He loses his house. He, loses, he gets wiped out. Yeah, he loses his health. He's sitting there. He's got boils on him. And people are like, look, his wife even says, curse God and die. And he doesn't do that. But he is, he's like, I need God to answer me. God had better give me an answer because, I mean, he's very indignant at, at some point. And so in Job 38, God actually does answer him. And how does God answer him? <laughs> yeah, I hate this part of Job. It's, Not really. I, I, really, I, I really like it. But gosh, when I read that, I'm just going, gosh, how how. how Humble. Oh, it's a humbling uh, moment. Yeah. And I'm not going to read. The actual answer is several chapters long. Right. But just the first little bit of it, here's when God starts speaking. He's, his first words are, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all of the sun, uh, sons of God shouted for joy. He starts going through one after another after another. God is reminding Job and us, hey, I'm God. You don't know what's, what, what's in my mind. You don't know what my purposes are. You're just a man. Mm -hmm. And when we start saying, well, this evil thing... God can't exist because of this evil thing. We're not God. And God, how can a good God coexist with so much evil? God knows. We may not because we can't see over the hill. But, I, you know, Scott, I think we do know some as parents um, 
because I know that I, I have three kids and all of them are, were uh, different and different personalities encountered. I thought you were going to say difficult, and then you said different. Well, they, so. they, they, they were difficult, too. Okay. But they, they, they listen to these, so I have to be careful. Okay. Um, so when they were, you know, a preteen, or you try to get them to do certain things, because we know, we have a knowledge as an adult that they don't. And I had conversations with all three of them on how I knew better because they weren't old enough. Right. To, you know, they wouldn't even know what to do with the information if they had it. Does that make sense? Oh, sure. Yeah, as exactly. a, a child. So I, I try to put myself in that position and go, okay. And I've had so many people in having conversations uh, uh, spiritually forming conversations where, you know, somebody would say, gosh, when I did that, I had no idea the impact it was going to have on my life mm-hmm. this far down the road. Does that make That's sense? That's right. Oh, you're right. 100%. And, and I know that therapists hear this, whether, whether they're trying to have a religious conversation or not, yeah. but they do recognize, psychologists recognize mm-hmm. that something can happen in the, in, in a, in a, to a child that we don't recognize the consequences of that because of our lack of knowledge until way down the road when they right. are experiencing this. And they're talking about it now with uh, COVID and having our, our kids n- not go to school, the impact of That's right. what what's happened. Well, we didn't have that knowledge. That's true. Um, That's right. It's a I different mean, world. I, I think we kind of should have but anyway you've uh, heard the you've heard probably you've heard people talk about the idea of the beating of the wings of a butterfly can lead to a hurricane in another part of the world or a typhoon in another part of the world i don't know if you've ever heard but no. they, they talk about this all things being connected and one small thing oh, can yeah. lead to major consequences somewhere else oh yeah it's the same principle with god i think um when i was a social worker back in the 1980s um I had a a, patient, a a client who you know we had to shelter. She had been abandoned, and she's a little bitty girl, probably less than a year old, and she'd never been immunized. And so we we took her one day for her immunizations, and all I remember is this little girl sitting. She was sitting in another lady's lap because the two of us went together, and they put the needle in that girl's leg, and she started crying, and she reached out to me and held on to me. And they kept putting needles in her legs. And she could not perceive any good purpose behind that. But we knew there was a good purpose mm-hmm. to it because she needed to be immunized. And yep. she just knew she was being hurt. I think I think that plays into this idea that God's got a better understanding than us. You can't see the good purpose, but there is a good purpose. What is the good? The good is increased knowledge of God coming to the, fo- the foot of the throne of Christ and being saved because that's the purpose of man. It's not about... Well, I don't ever want to get a bruise. I don't want to ever have a bad diagnosis. I don't want to ever lose my job. Any of those things might serve to bring me to Christ. And if that's that's what happens, I can promise you those of us at, at the end of this life are going to look back on this life and go, yeah, it really wasn't that big of a deal. In contrast to the, the glory that we're in in eternity, we're going to go, well, 
you know, Paul calls it a brief momentary affliction. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that big of a deal to him, you know. And he didn't he lived a hard life. He got stoned and thought he left for dead outside of building outside of cities and imprisoned and put in sh- in change. That's a brief momentary affliction, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um definitely has a different mindset. Than, that's right. than uh, most of us do. So I want to go through um some of the other possible responses. I one of the things that um one of the things that um, I think is important is to have a variety of ways to respond. Mm-hmm. And we'll probably need to go a little bit longer in this one because I would like to get all of these in just really quick. So if everybody will just bear with us for a few more minutes to get through this because it really doesn't make sense to break these up. Yeah. Um, there's an article that da- the Dallas Baptist University website publishes. It's called The Odyssey, A Brief Overview. So these ideas I'm drawing from that. Um, and the first one is... Um, the idea of a free, they call it the free will defense. How could there be so much evil in the world? Well, God has granted man free will. And men can choose to do awful, horrible, terrible things to each other. And God prioritizes free will. God thinks free will is, is valuable enough to give you and me a choice. And it kind of goes back to the whole, let's have them start with you to take away sin. Hey, this this person shouldn't do these two. Well, let's have him start with you. What he's asking is to take away a person's free will. And God views free will apparently as very important because we all have it. And so when we say, why why is there so much evil? Why did that, why did 9-11 happen? Because man's got free will and man's going to make awful choices. Man has fallen. Man has rebelled against God. So that's the first, and it's not God's fault that these things happened, except in the sense that God decided to give us free will. So that's one. Um, the second one is something called the soul-making model. And the idea is that we are in need of shaping and growth, and sometimes this looks painful. And I want to I want to read a quote from The Problem of Pain. It's a book that C.S. Lewis wrote. And this was profound to me when I first read this. Because ultimately what, what C.S. Lewis is saying is if we're asking for a life without pain, we're asking for God to love us less than he does, if that makes sense. Let me read the quote real quick. He says, we are not metaphorically, in, but sorry, we are not metaphorically, but in very truth, a divine work of art, something that God is making, and therefore something with which he will not be satisfied until it has a certain character. Here again, we come up against what I have called the intolerable compliment. Over a sketch made idly to amuse a child, an artist may not take much trouble. He may be content to let it go, even though it is not exactly what he meant it to be. But over the great picture of his life, the work which he loves, though in a different fashion, as intensely as a man loves a woman or a mother a child, he will make endless trouble and would doubtless, therefore, give endless trouble to the picture if it were sentient. One can imagine a sentient picture after being rubbed and scraped and recommenced for the tenth time, wishing that it were only a thumbnail sketch whose making was over in a minute. In the same way, it's natural for us to wish that God had designed us for a less glorious and arduous destiny but then we are work, we are wishing not for more love, but for less. Imagine if the marble that was worked on that created the statue of David had 
personality and emotions do you think it would sit around and go i am so glad that there's a chisel just chipping chunks of me away and just tearing these people it would hate it but that's a true work of art Mm -hmm. and god works at us and he he treats us as his work of art we're not a child's drawing that goes on the side of a refrigerator that's done in a second even though some of us wish that we were that's what that's what c.s lewis is saying and i think in in that sense, what we sometimes view as evil is our soul being refined. You mm-hmm. know, Peter talks about our us being refined in the fire like gold, you know, and I think that's one of the things that we can say to this. How can there be so much evil? Well, our souls are being refined. We're being shaped. Yeah. We're being crafted. Which, you know, that I, I, I love what Dallas Willard um, said in relation to this. He it's something like he, he said it's something like this, that. We are being shaped and molded yeah. for our eternal destiny. That's right. That's right. And so that when we move into eternity, we know exactly what it is. We feel comfortable there because we've been being prepped for it yeah. the whole time. Yeah. Which, you know, when you think about that, that yeah. we have a creator that loves us so much and wants to have a relationship with us in such a way that he does that. And you want to scream, leave me alone at times in your life, but... Most of the time. <laughs> that's, the, that's the whole, please love me less. This is painful. Yeah. Just let it be done, yep. you know, but that's not the way it is. We're loved far too much for God to do that. And um, again, I think there are other ones, that, something he calls the grand design argument, which is we've already talked about. It's also possible that what we perceive as evil is really producing good. And I'll, I'll t- I mentioned the, the children getting an immunization right. and and that sort of thing. I could go into other stories. All of us have those stories. Um, ultimate good can come out of it. The, you know, I've talked about my, my uh, wife's ex-sister-in-law who developed bone marrow, uh, or de- developed, I guess developed leukemia and had to have a bone marrow transpl- transplant. She went to a very secular part of the U.S., and she's a very outspoken Christian. She's in the mission field now. And had to be in an isolated ward where this bone marrow transplant occurred and that kills all of her. I mean, she loses 100% of her immunities as this bone marrow rebuilds and develops these massive sores in her mouth and it was just this just this hideous experience for her. But there were nurses and doctors all around her and other patients that were not Christians that witnessed Christ in her that they never would have seen if she hadn't gone through that. So that's this this idea of this design argument. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8, Romans 8, 28. Um, and we can, we can go into other reasons, but these are the primary things that I think I would, I would respond with. Is there a lot of evil in the world? Absolutely, there's a lot of evil in the world. It's sometimes overwhelming. It's overpowering at times. But does that mean that God can't exist or that God can't be good? No. I think we've got lots of good reasons to think that a good God can coexist with this, can use that evil, and that evil is actually serving God's purpose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that's that's where more people sit. That's more people uh, sort of camp out there. And we have good answers for that as well. Yeah. I'd like to take a little bit more time to talk through a couple of other things related to this. Um, I don't know if we'll, I think we'll be able to get through it just in one more conversation. So let's do that, and then uh, hopefully you know we'll be able to move on to other topics okay. after that. Good stuff. A lot of good stuff to um, reflect on. I, I hope that our listeners will take the time to just think through and reflect on this at, at, on a regular basis because um, we do live in a very evil world, and we need to know how to how to respond to it. Yep. Thanks, Scott. You bet. 
You've been listening to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. The James Group is a nonprofit Christ-centered organization that seeks to serve the community by offering skilled caring support for anyone in need. For help, call 972-243-4673. That's 972-243-4673. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another Hacks for Life with Galen Jones.